Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is Dr. Jess Armine. And we have another great show for you coming to you from the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine here in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. Uh, for those people just joining us, if you have not obtained the PDF to follow along with the lecture, <clears throat> it can be obtained at drjessarmine.com and go to the radio show um, button and you'll be able to pick up the PDF and download it right quick. I'll give everybody a couple minutes to do that while we're saying hello. Uh, in the past three shows, uh, the listenership has grown immensely, and I really appreciate all the support. Uh, some have been asking me, what is bioindividualized medicine? And uh, just so everybody knows, that is now a trademark term for myself and Sean Bean, who is a clinical nutritionist. And we are creating a center where we are not just looking at the body from one aspect. We're not just doing methylation. We're not just doing uh, any other particular type of treatment or diagnosis. We are training other people and ourselves, which we're already trained, yes, <laughs> to be truly holistic practitioners. So we are identifying bioindividualized health as looking at neurotransmitter balancing, looking at neuroendoimmunology like we spoke about last week, looking at mitochondrial dysfunction, looking at and understanding the genetics, looking at the integrity of the cell wall, and putting those things together and treating them by intention. <clears throat> I think in all the consults that I do, I usually find that there's some stone or several stones being left unturned, and this is why people remain ill. Uh, the title of this is Overcoming Chronic Illness, and I'd like everybody to realize that their illnesses, the things they've been diagnosed with, are not insurmountable. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing is taking a piece at a time and showing you how different chronic illnesses are created and what can be done about them because there are preciously few things that cannot be healed. So I appreciate your listenership, and here we go. Tonight's lecture is on mood disorders, neurotransmitters, inflammation, and methylation. What's the connection? Do you think I caught, up, caught everything with that one? <laughs> Oh, by the way, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm by myself tonight, so if I can't get to a question in the chat, okay, I will answer it directly after the show. I'll try and look. I'm looking directly at the studio right now, and I'll try and answer everybody's questions. I may not be able to type them in, though, okay? Okay, if you have the, uh, the PDF on page two, it says, what actually creates our moods? What is a mood, Okay. A mood is an expression of our neurotransmitters in our brain. And uh, the picture that I found was serotonin and the dopamines, the happiness tour. And frankly, those are the two neurotransmitters that are involved in being happy. Because moods are happy, sad, and everything in between. If we go to page three, we're going to spend a little time on this. This is the brain wall. This is my creation that was digitalized and perfected by my son, Jesse, who, as everybody knows, is my hero, as well as all my other sons. <clears throat> We're going to spend a little bit of time on this because if you really want to understand how your brain and how, how your brain works and how the neurotransmitters fit in, this is a perfect teaching tool. I have it on my wall framed, and it takes up half of my wall. So let's get into it. You'll notice that I have it color-coded. Let's use the prefrontal cortex, which is on the purple side, okay, which is at the front of the brain, okay, and it's purple. Okay, on to the left there, it says prefrontal cortex. <clears throat> now listen carefully, because I, guess what? By the time I'm done, you're going to know more about neurotransmitters and how to correlate moods and neurotransmitters than most doctors around, okay? All right, the function of the prefrontal cortex is attention, 
judgment, critical thinking, impulse control, empathy, emotional awareness, and you should know that it grows until age 25. So dysfunction is distractibility, impulsivity, poor judgment, laziness, tardiness, and frankly, everything that one calls a teenager. And by the way, that's why teenagers do stupid things, because their prefrontal cortex has not completely formed. And everybody remembers Bill Cosby and his little ditty about his son who got the reverse mohawk. And he walked up to him and he said, did you have your head with you all day? Yes. And why did you do this? He says, I don't know. You know why? Because teenagers often don't know. Okay, if the prefrontal cortex is dysfunctional, on the bottom you'll see dopamine, epinephrine, and norepinephrine are the chief players. Also, ADD, attention deficit disorder, tends to live in the prefrontal cortex. Let's go up to the yellow, the anterior cingulate. The anterior cingulate is where OCD and ODD live. ODD is oppositional defiance disorder. Its function is it's your gear shifter. It's your ability to be flexible and adaptable. When it's dysfunctional, there you can be very stubborn, like me. Okay, you can hold grudges. I don't hold grudges. Maybe a little bit. Okay, some obsessions and compulsions, addictions, PMS, road rage, oppositional, and being argumentative. And you'll notice that serotonin is the main neurotransmitter that kind of hangs out in this area. Moving off to the right, the basal ganglia is where anxiety lives. I treat a lot of anxiety disorder people, and I really would like you to listen closely to it. There's kind of a left and a right basal ganglia. When the left is dysfunctional, you're more expressively anxious. That's where you get verbal abuse, homicidal thinking, unless you're from Brooklyn, in which case we act out on it. Uh, I hope everybody laughed. <clears throat> on the right side, it's more internal. That's where you get the anxiety, the, um, the people who uh, maybe cut, maybe do things that are self-mutilating and so forth. Its function is that it's the brain's idol. That's how you stay in the moment. When it's dysfunctional, this is where you get anxiety, panic attacks, um, and so forth. Tense neck and shoulders, tremors. And the main neurotransmitter is GABA. And just go off to the left a little bit where you see the big GABA, and it has an A and a B on the top. Gamma-mid-benzoic acid is your body's breaks. That's how your body calms down. That's how it relaxes. Okay, when you have enough GABA, you can calm and you're able to sleep. Well, if you don't have enough, you'll have anxiety, insomnia, or tremors. Now, <clears throat> when we want to have more GABA, sometimes we'll have a drink of alcohol. And anybody who's drank alcohol realizes that unless you're allergic to it or something, that you'll kind of relax for a little while. But it doesn't really last all that long. Same thing with the benzodiazepines and, frankly, marijuana. And that's because these substances hook onto the alpha receptor, and they don't produce GABA. They simply open the gates for the GABA. But that alpha receptor is like the McDonald's off the highway, fast on, fast off. So if you have a very upregulated nervous system to begin with, and you take a drink and you're just you take a drink you'll calm down for a short period of time but boom you'll get nervous again very quickly so you have to keep on drinking or keep on drugging in order to get the gaba raised on a regular basis and that's where the addictive quality comes in uh, over on the B side, uh, this little advertisement there for Cavanase, which is a phenylated GABA. There's actually three types of phenylated GABA on the market this, these days, and one is Cavanase from the Neuroscience Corporation, and one is GABA-centered PX from Poliquin, and then something called Phenibut, which I do not recommend. Uh, the phenylated GABAs, the reason that they're good is because they cross the blood-brain barrier. Many GABAs that you may be taking presently, okay, don't cross the blood-brain barrier. And, of course, I've had people tell me, well, listen, I've taken XX and X as GABA, and it's not phenylated, and it works for me. Well, do you know what that means? It means you've got a leaky blood-brain barrier, okay? 
Now, the thalamic limbic system, okay, this is where depression lives. Okay, the thalamic limbic system is your emotional filter. Okay, it colors your expressions. It tags things of certain importance. It charges your emotions. It's where your libido lives. Okay, and it's very close to the smell area. So that's why when you smell certain scents, they associate very quickly with emotional uh, emotional things. Uh, it's involved in your sleep cycles, okay, and it, it's involved in your appetite. When it's dysfunctional, uh, you can have depression, you can have sleep problems, appetite problems, decreased sex drive, social isolation, and increased negative thinking. And as you might expect, serotonin is the major neurotransmitter that is involved in that area. The base of the brain is the temporal lobe, and a lot of stuff goes on the base of the brain. On the left-hand side, that's more of the, mm, how can I say, the more logical side. I mean, that's where you process language, short-term memory, long-term memory, auditory learning, and so forth, where the right side is the more artsy side, facial recognition, decoding, vocal inflection, that type of stuff. But when it's dysfunctional on the left, there's a lot of aggression, fighting, sensitive to slights, difficulty finding words, and sometimes auditory processing problems. Uh, there's a ton of studies out there that say that children who have been abused um, by parents, been you know hit a lot, become aggressive adults. And if I'd like to tell you why that happens, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, most parents are right-handed, so if they're going to hit a child, they tend to hit the child on the left side of the head. And over time, they create left temporal lobe dysfunction, and that's a good place for the aggression to start. If you have right-sided temporal lobe dysfunction, it's really difficult because uh, you might have difficulty decoding voices, um, difficulty you know, identifying faces, and so forth. Also, temporal lobe is a seat of memory. Okay, and you can see on the bottom that ginkgo biloba, acetylcholine, and dopamine may be helpful with memory. It's also the seat of bipolar disorder, which utilize, which to um, work with bipolar disorder, they're using GABA and anticonvulsants. And this is also where psychosis lives. Okay, and antipsychotics are really antidopaminergic. You've also heard me talk about excitatory and inhibitory neurotransmitters. Let me give them a couple of minutes apiece. <clears throat> the difference is really excitatory neurotransmitters are those guys that wake you up and let you pay attention, okay, and uh, go about your daily activities, whereas inhibitory neurotransmitters uh, will allow you to relax, chill out, okay, um, sleep, and so forth. In the excitatories, you have epinephrine and norepinephrine, which come from the adrenal gland. And if they're high, as you might think, you'd have trouble sleeping, hypertension, anxiety, uh, irritability. The person who cuts in line that you want to pick up and throw off the line, uh, maybe you feel like you have too much caffeine and tremors. If they're low, as you might think, there would be fatigue, very bad focus, weight gain. And there's lots of reasons for weight gain. Low energy, again, low focus. Uh, Something I'd really like to let you guys know, um, I know I'm using older terms, but the ADD, uh, Attention Deficit Disorder, and ADHD, I know they have different terms now, are really two different things. ADD is a lack of norepinephrine and or phenylethylamine. If those are low, a person will have difficulty paying attention. ADHD is more of a hyperactivity disorder, and in that particular case, the brain is moving so fast that the person has the attention span of a gnat. Two different etiologies, two different root causes have to be treated differently. You can't just throw medications without some consideration. Dopamine. Dopamine is a funny neurotransmitter, and I mean funny strange, not funny haha. When dopamine is low, you can have a condition called anhedonia, which is a total lack of joy. This is different from depression in that in depression, usually, you can distract someone. You can take them out. You can take them to a movie unless they're in incredibly deep uh, bipolar clinical depression. Okay. And, you know, usually you can distract them, and at least for the time that you're with them, their, their depression is lessened. With anhedonia, this is the kind of person who, if they did activities 
that that usually brings them joy, knitting, reading, riding bicycles, whatever it happens to be, they're just simply not getting the joy. When I start hearing that, I'm thinking low dopamine. When dopamine is slightly high, um, in some of the testing I use, let's say that 175 is the high end. When dopamine is like between 175 and 250, you have paranoia. And I like to call it pleasing paranoia. It's the paranoia where, uh, you know, you, you think you didn't lock the door or you have to go upstairs or the person's just a little bit on edge <clears throat> or somebody, you know, they think, well, somebody's talking about them and, and so forth. And they're talking like this and, and they're walking, blah, 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 okay? Not the kind of paranoia that the CIA is after you and you have to wear that aluminum hat, okay, so that people from space can't hear you. When dopamine goes very high, let's say above 300, you are now in the psychosis range. That's where hallucinations come from. Let me give you an example. All of my patients who have diagnoses of psychosis have dopamines in the 300s. Now listen carefully, people. All of my autistic kids, every single one of them, have dopamines in the 600s. Think where their problems are coming from. It's very, very injurious to the brain itself. <clears throat> By the way, we all know that if you smoke too much marijuana, you can get paranoid. Okay, that's because marijuana will give you GABA and dopamine. But we've all had friends who smoke their first, do they still call it a joint? Or marijuana cigarette? Whatever. And they get paranoid immediately. That's the person who has a naturally high dopamine. Not everybody is smack in the middle. Okay, some people have high, some people have low normally. Okay, and that's one way of telling, not that I suggest you do it. Okay, glutamate. Glutamate is incredibly important. Glutamate comes from glutamine, which is a uh, amino acid that you take in through the stomach that should be producing GABA or glutamate depending on what the body needs. But under certain, cer certain circumstances, the glutamate can get very high and can actually cause cell death. When glutamate gets very, very, very high, you were talking seizure disorder. And I spoke about phenylethylamine, uh, which is mainly uh, <clears throat> associated to focus. And when it's high, though, your mind will be running, you'll have anxiety, sleep difficulty. When it's low is when uh, you have a low focus. This is a direct descendant of phenylalanine. The inhibitory neurotransmitters that calm you down. Serotonin is the one that we're most familiar with because we hear about it all the time. Low serotonin can give you anxiety, insomnia, depression, uncontrolled appetite, and usually the appetites for sugars or carbs uh, in compulsive overeaters Okay, the reason that they're going for the carb fix is because they're looking for a blast of serotonin. And sometimes headaches, and here's something interesting, unexplained gastrointestinal symptoms. I cannot tell you the amount of people who I have cured, God forbid I should say the word cured, okay, someone might come after me. I have cured their stomachs by fixing their neurotransmitters because serotonin is the main neurotransmitter of the enteric nervous system, that nervous system that runs your gut, which, by the way, happens to be bigger than your central nervous system. 5-HIA is the breakdown product of serotonin. Uh, taurine, interesting, taurine. Taurine is an inhibitory neuromodulator. Don't worry about what the word means. If you have too much of it, insomnia, hyperactivity. Uh, if you have too little, arrhythmias, panic attacks, and so forth. Uh, <laughs> if anybody drinks monster drinks, they drink Red Bull and they think they're doing themselves a favor. If you look at the first ingredient, the first ingredient is taurine. There's a reason why those people put it in there. They put it in there not because they want to feed your brain, but they're giving you something that's making your heart race, and they figure if they give you enough taurine, you won't have a heart attack. Because guess what? Taurine in very high amounts acts like lidocaine. Lidocaine is an antiarrhythmic. How do I know? Well, I read, okay, and I used to be head nurse of a coronary intensive care unit, and we used to use lidocaine a lot. And I just find it very interesting that uh, the powers that be would just put a ton of taurine into these drinks, and kids are drinking them like crazy. I wrote an article one time saying that, you know, our, this generation of children is going to have adrenal exhaustion like really fast based on these energy drinks, okay, when we were kids. I know, I'm showing my age. The energy drink was coffee, okay, and that was it. 
And we spoke a little bit last time about neuroendoimmunology and how the, the neurological system, the uh, organs, and the immune system relate and talk to one another. Okay, another thing we have to realize, it's on page four, is that the major axis that runs our body is the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. This is where, and we saw the picture of, um, of the Incredible Hulk last week, okay, where the hypothalamus gets stimulated and releases cototropin releasing factor. When I say something fast, ignore it, okay? It means it's not important. Where this, where the, uh, and that stimulates the pituitary to release adrenocotropin hormone and it causes the adrenals to release epinephrine, norepinephrine, DHEA, dehydroxy, and epiendosterone, and cortisol. Well, if you forget that, remember this, okay? Everybody remembers Bill Bixby as the, as the Incredible Hulk. He would walk into the town, and he would go to a bar. I don't know why he went to a bar. He always went to a bar, okay? And they started messing with him, okay? And he would get upset. And that was the hypothalamus telling the pituitary, hey, something's going on. And then the pituitary would start ramping up, and he would give him the eyes. He said, you wouldn't like me when I'm mad. And then all of a sudden, the adrenals start kicking in. And what happens? <laughs> the Incredible Hulk. And he is green, and he's Lou Ferrigno, who used to live in Brooklyn. I knew him. Man was a nice guy, thank God, because he was enormous. And he will just go running around the town going, booga, 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 booga. Right? Now, at the end of the episode, what happens? The Hulk looks like he's relaxing. And, what, and then he turns back into Bill Bixby, they have to leave town. What has happened there is that the cortisol has gone up to the receptors and turned off the reaction. That's called fight or flight. We are adapted over many millennia to have that happen to us once every six weeks, not six to 12 times a day like in this particular society. And guess what? It's not just psychological stress. It's all toxins and everything else that's upregulating this HPA axis. But what a lot of people don't realize is that there's not only a hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, there's a hypothalamic pituitary thyroid axis. The cortisol is necessary to conjugate T4 to T3. And there's a hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis. So guess what? It's going to mess with the hormones. So there's real good reason why these guys are working together, and if they're dis one of them is dysfunctional or two, you can really have problems. As a matter of fact, when I'm treating a menopausal woman and they're having all kinds of problems, I'm not treating with HRT. I'm treating the adrenals. Why would I do that? Well, guess what? Menopause is a normal phenomena. I know ladies, don't, don't, don't gang up on me now, okay? It's a normal phenomenon. It's been happening since time immemorial. Why is it a problem? Okay, it's not a problem because there's difficulty with the gonadal organs, the um, uh, ovaries and, and uterus. There's a problem with the adrenal gland. The adrenal gland takes over and releases dehydroxyepiandosterone, which I'll be talking about next week in the hormone in the hormone segment. Okay, which breaks down into male and female hormones. Okay, that's the way it happens. Okay, and if you work with the adrenals, guess what? A lot of times people get better. So, we're going to page five. Moods are the expression of the neurotransmitters in your brain. And this is a really great graphic that I found. And you really should go to this site because I love, the, I love what it's called. Does this neurotransmitter make my butt look fat? <laughs> okay. And you can see that the lack or the add of, of these various neurotransmitters will cause moods, good and bad, okay? And it's a really, it's a neurotransmitter balance. And everybody knows that my nickname is the neurotransmitter whisperer. So what causes imbalances that can cause mood disorders? Well, glad you asked because it's on the next page. <clears throat> the causes of distress and imbalance, okay, are multiple, okay? We talked about the neuroendoimmunological system. So we said that last week that when the immune system is compromised, we're going to have problems in all the other systems. And that can be caused by toxins, xenobiotics, which are things like yeast and parasites and stuff like that, dietary peptides, which are the incomplete breakdown proteins, and you know, not breaking your proteins down to their constituent amino acids, so they're being broken down to these small 
protein fragments that look like antigens to the body. Uh, dysbiosis, again, yeast, you know, parasite, all those bad guys, okay, which can be bacterial, viral, fungal, or parasitic. Let's not forget our society. Look at the guy on the right-hand side. That looks like me trying to get work done, okay, except I don't like espresso, so I just take straight coffee, okay? This is stress. In our society, we are not adapted to the amazing amount of stress that we are put in front of every day. When I was a kid, again, I'm giving away my age, when I was a kid, there was only two things open on Sunday, the church and the bakery. You went to church, you went to the bakery, you went home. Okay, you had dinner early, the whole family was around, you got your homework done, you played with your cousins, or whatever it was you did, there was nothing else open, not even gas stations. Now, everything is 24-7. You wonder why the kids are having problems, why they're up all night and they can't get up in the morning? Those kidney rhythms are turning around based on the video games and the light in their eyes. Okay, plus, we're being constantly stimulated. We are not adapted to that. People were not adapted to it. The next page, we talked about leaky gut. What do you think all this stuff does? It ends up in leaky gut. The dietary peptides, the antibodies, the drugs and xenobiotics, the physical stress, the infections, the cytokines, which are, remember the recent pieces for ET, the cytokines, and neurotransmitters, enzymes. When they start breaking the intestinal barrier, you start creating food allergy and intolerance. In other words, immune upregulation. You're creating more antibodies, okay, which starts creating immune system abnormalities. In other words, immune dysregulation, okay, which can lead to autoimmunity. And the influence on the blood-brain barrier, this is how it gets ripped open, and your mitochondria, which is how you get your energy. Okay, this is all inflammation. Inflammation is the big thing that can affect our neurotransmitter balance. Amongst all these other things, it affects our neurotransmitter balance in our central nervous system and is the major reason for the upregulation of depression, anxiety, and the rest of the mood disorders. Okay, it's not only better diagnosis, because remember people, and I apologize for the, to, the, um, to the allopathic medical community out there, but psychiatric diagnosis is not diagnosis. It is the description of symptoms. If you say somebody has bipolar disorder, you've only told me that for some time their mood is up and for some time their mood is down. You have not told me what the root cause of the problem is. If you have a sore throat, you have a symptom. If you have a strep throat, now I know why you have a sore throat. If you have an allergic sore throat, an allergic rhinitis or something like that that's dripping, now I know why you have a sore throat. But most psychiatric, if not all psychiatric disorders, are not diagnoses. They are descriptions. And let's face it, psychiatry is the only profession that does an image and tests the organ that it treats. And I, I won't say any more because I probably won't make it to my parking lot. Anyway, so on page eight, what can inflammation do to us? Okay, it's really important because as we go along in this particular set of things that I'm sharing with you, okay, inflammation is going to be a big part of what it is that you need to understand and what you need to attend to if you want to get better. Okay, inflammation can cause pulmonary diseases, neurological diseases, cancer, cardiovascular diseases, Alzheimer's, okay, autoimmune diseases, arthritis, and diabetes. And that's just some of it, okay? And there's the reference there. It's a very, very good um, article you'd enjoy reading. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. Now, God forbid I shouldn't mention methylation. Okay, which is on page nine, and I realize that uh, most of our crowd knows me from the methylation world. Okay, so I did want to talk a little bit about methylation biochemistry and how it affects neurotransmitters. Let me qualify this by saying that when you're attending to methylation or you're attending to the genetics, it is not the only thing you should be attending to. And if you have a doctor that just wants to treat just the methylation problems, it's time for you to slip out the back, Jack, 
okay? What you guys need, what everyone needs, is a doctor who thinks holistically. And when I say holistically, I don't mean taking a dead chicken and swinging it over somebody's head or taking out the crystals and every woo-woo. I'm talking about looking at everything, as, like I told you before, looking at the neurotransmitters, looking at the immune system, looking at the hormones, looking for reasons for dysbiosis or imbalance, okay? You were born, when you get that 23andMe, and then you put it through Sterling's app, which is very cool. I, you know, I love that app. I've learned to read it. It's, it's wonderful, and I know that she's coming up with an even better one soon. And you read through it, and you say, oh, my God, look at those reds and yellows. And I, I must be dying. No, you're not. Guess what? You were born like that. And whatever sickness befell you took those pathways and made them dysfunctional. I often tell people when I say, look, look at the greens, that's like an eight-lane highway. Okay, look at the yellows, heterozygous, and that's a four-lane highway. And look at the reds, which is a two-lane highway. So if you've got a pathway that's got a lot of reds, and you try and put eight lanes of traffic into that highway, things are going to run slow. Conversely, take away the pressure, take away the dysfunction, take away the illness, and those pathways will work the way they were supposed to. Real fast, I had a nice eight-year-old girl who I treated in, was in Texas. Her mommy called me, and make a long story short, she had hallucinations. Visual, auditory, and olfactory smelling hallucinations. And mom did the perfect workup, and not, they found nothing. We, her, I, another doctor, we all worked together because... I have no ego when it concerns my patients. I make sure that they're well taken care of. Cleaned up her gut because she had stomach problems and so forth. Found four infections, anaplasma, Lyme, yeast, and herpes 6, which is a, uh, a neurological infection. Okay, and in a historical fight between the two coasts, when I threatened the medical doctor with um, sleeping with the fishes because she wanted to put a... Uh, a line in this girl and use rotating antibiotics. Well, I disagreed with that. I used something else, which I can't mention on the air. But guess what? In six weeks, all the infections were gone. I know this because I have before and after. And all of her symptoms were gone. All of them. Interestingly, we didn't get the 23andMe back till after this was done. And if you looked at her 23andMe, it looked like it was so bad looking, you figured she'd be up on a bell tower with a rifle. But all we did was return her back to the way she was when she was a baby. Got her physiology working the way it was supposed to. She was cooperative. Mom was cooperative. Mom was amazing. That family was, I got to tell you, talk about beautiful. Plus, she sent me some great pictures, and she used to draw me pictures, so she's my favorite person. So, in the direct, so when you talk about the genetics or the epigenetics, remember that it is part of what's going on with you. It isn't the whole. It isn't everything. It's part. And you need to heal. And most of those what look like disorders will heal themselves. That's my, that's my soapbox for the week, people. If you look at the folate cycle, methylation cycle, BH4, and urea, I picked this particular... Um, graphic out to make it easier. I could go through the folate and the methylation cycle and, and we get a little confused, but everybody's concerned about MTHFR, which is methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. It has contribution in the BH4 cycle, which is tetrahydrobioturin, okay? And that substance conjugates DL-phenylalanine into phenylalanine and then conjugates uh, serotonin, and which turns into melatonin, by the way. Okay, then it will conjugate dopamine, and that becomes norepinephrine and epinephrine. So there is a relationship between MTHFR and that BH4 cycle. The problem is the big experts disagree, and I, I can understand because I've read the research. Um, Dr. Yasko says there's a big relationship. Dr. Ben doesn't. And frankly, nobody's really sure. Okay, but we do know there is a relationship. So if you're having difficulties, one of the things you want to at least pay attention to is the methylation cycle, making sure that everything works, that those pathways are clear and working as part of everything that you're doing. And this should take care of itself because the exact relationships aren't apparent, but 
they're getting there. The research is ongoing. So tonight so far, if you go to page 10, tonight so far we realize that mood disorders have numerous causes. Okay, so we really need to know how they're identified. But really look at the different causes. I only went through a few. They can have nutritional deficiencies, heavy metal toxicity, EFA, which is fish oil deficiencies, neurotransmitters up or down, receptor imbalance, didn't even get into that, digestive problems, sounds like leaky gut to me, low tissue sugar, undermethylated neurotransmitter deficiency, mm. and big thyroid and adrenal function. Okay, these things will cause mood disorders, either by themselves or in combination. But how does one identify these things? Okay, you have to engage, if you go to the next page, in something called root cause analysis. If you engage in simple treatment, you know, things that people usually do, and it doesn't resolve the disorder, then you make the conclusion that you're condition is a bit more complex. So you sort of have to investigate into the possible causes of the symptom complex, not keep treating the, the symptoms. Listen, treating a symptom is putting on a Band-Aid. That's not a dishonor. If you're bleeding, use the blessed Band-Aid, okay? But don't use it as a sole therapy. You want to get at the cause of the bleeding. So in continuing along, a root cause analysis can include things like neurotransmitter and stress hormone testing, looking at the gut function, what we talked about last week, maybe stool testing, looking for food allergies, candida dysbiosis, looking for immune dysfunction from possible metal allergies, chronic viral, bacterial, fungal, or autoimmune diseases. I had to put that in there because it was in the list, and you know how I feel about autoimmune diseases. And you can see the young lady sitting there that, that there is a mul multiple organ systems involved. But most of all, you need to pick out a practitioner, okay, who can think like a detective. Most of our practitioners out there work on algorithms, people. When I was, when I was a baby doctor, okay, I remember that my allopathic friends had these books and they just followed algorithms. And with the advent of managed care and doctors being rushed, um, Let's face it, they, they ask you a couple of questions, they go along an algorithm, and they try this. If that doesn't work, they try that. If this doesn't work, they try this. kind of tells them what to do. And then everybody says, oh, we need somebody like Dr. House. Mm, true. But if you really think about it, should a hospital need a department of diagnosis? Isn't that what the doctors are supposed to do? Aren't they supposed to think? Okay? If you think algorithmically, you'll never deviate from your algorithm. And what's worse these days is that the medical establishment, I know the men in black are going to be waiting for me on this, okay? The medical establishment will look at a doctor and say, I mean, you're going to lose your license if you don't do what we say. This is why they will only treat acute Lyme, but don't treat chronic Lyme. And you have to go to a Lyme literate doctor, which kind of makes me scratch my head. You know, in this country, chronic Lyme is not accepted by the powers that be. So the Lyme organism, Borrelia bugdifori, is the only organism on the planet that can only give you an acute condition. What's worse, go down to Australia. They don't even believe Lyme exists. Okay? But if you go to Texas, of course, they have their own tick. Okay? They don't have Borrelia bugdifori. They have Borrelia lone starus. And I, I probably look at the tick. It's got a hat. It's got a little star on the back. Everything's bigger in Texas. Hope everybody laughed. Let me give you an example of how things work. Okay? Here's a woman with primary complaints of depression and anxiety. The traditional medical route is as follows. Antidepressant medications like Prozac, Zoloft, Lexapro, which are re serotonin reuptake inhibitors. If that doesn't work after four to six weeks, well, we'll use Welbutrin, which raises norepinephrine, and dopamine. If that doesn't work after several weeks, maybe one of the newer meds like Pristique or maybe referral to a psychiatrist who will use even stronger meds and let's not forget the Ativan for the anxiety. None of this gets to the cause. And again, they may be very good Band-Aids, but none of it gets to the cause. Because you can see that more depression, more anxiety, panic, more depre depression, more anxiety, more panic. It used to be something called the fear, tension, pain syndrome. In our office and of the people who we associate with, 
we listen to our patients because the patient will tell you what is wrong if you listen. I learned how to be a doctor from very old doctors, from very old family-type doctors, who said if you just simply listen, Jess, your patient will tell you what's wrong. And they were right. So we identify the causes of the symptoms by taking a good history, utilizing the appropriate testing if necessary, and I mentioned them before, the urine, saliva, stress hormone, neurotransmitter balance, stool, um, stool tests, uh, like to, and we also assess the integrity of the cell wall and fix it by intention. We consider mitochondrial dysfunction because any chronic illness will result in acquired or secondary mitochondrial dysfunction. And Sean like secondary, I like acquired. Hey, what can I say? And evaluate the epigenetic or the genetic contributions to the syndrome. And based on that investigation, and based on what has worked and what hasn't, if you listen to your patient, okay, you can start a treatment program, and I do nutritional treatment, with appropriate nutrients or amino acids that will build up the reserve of the hormones, neurotransmitters within the, ner- within the nerve cells, or like we had in our first um, blog talk radio, high-dose vitamin C to support the immune system and heal the adrenals, okay? And, and let me let you know just one more time. The epigenetics are easy to read, I know, sacrilege. But treating the polymorphisms, treating the genetics at the right time and the correct manner, okay, requires, and you'll have to turn the page, methylation experts. Okay, truly, I do believe that you can hurt yourself by just reading the 23andMe's and trying to treat yourself or just getting a list of the polymorphisms and then scarfing up everything that seems to be associated with them and just start taking them. Okay, there's a time and a place and you need an expert who knows how to do this. So, finally, and people better start asking questions because i got 15 minutes left. Okay, to address mood disorders, you should consider not only the neurotransmitter imbalances but causes of inflammation the integrity of the cell wall, which you see a picture on the bottom there, mitochondrial function, which is the picture on the top, nutritional deficiencies, genetic polymorphisms, nutrigenomics, and many more things. And it does, in fact, take, for those people who are chronic and people who I have had the pleasure and honor of working with, it takes a lot of thinking and a lot of work. But... Once you start getting at the root causes, people will heal because that's the way we're built. God made us to heal. We're the only self-healing mechanism in the universe. So I'm looking at the chat room. I'm looking at the uh, board here. And if anybody has questions, they can call 646-595-2277, and I would be happy to answer them. One thing I should tell you is that if you need to know more, oh, there's somebody here. This is great. If you need to know more for your own health and healing, um, at our office we have several openings a week where we can afford you a um, complimentary 15-minute get-acquainted call so you can ask us questions and we can see if we can help you or not. Okay, and I'll give you the number and the website before we leave. So let me see. Someone has called here. This is great. The 847 area code, and this is Dr. Armine. Hello? Hi, are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, my gosh, I got in. Yeah, well, I'm I very just, happy I've because I was getting lonely. Before, and I'm just fascinated. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Is there a question that I can answer for you? Yes. Um, my son, who is going to be eight years old next month, was um, diagnosed with pandas. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he meets all the he, he meets Criteria. all the strictest guidelines for pandas. If you're mm-hmm. familiar with it, I am. Okay, um, yep. so he's responded very well to IVIG done in June, and he's had some minor flares since then. Recently, mm-hmm. within a flare, we had a, a lumbar um, puncture done, mm-hmm. and the results in the, in the spinal fluid was two well-defined O-bands. And I'm just wondering if that, from what I've read, if that, he he doesn't have MS because he doesn't meet the other criteria, but I'm wondering if that is 
does that is that indicative of you um, as an autoimmune issue, and that could be playing a role in causing these uh, neuropsychiatric syndromes with my son and the pandas? Okay. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I'd have to research O-bands and their um, and their significance. Okay, but uh, only because it's um, it's not something I'm, I'm super um, uh, super knowledgeable about. But for the people listening, PANDAS means neuropsychi- uh, pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorder associated with streptococcal infections. Now uh, they discovered it um, about a decade or so ago. And they found that there were some children who, when they got a strep infection, would actually have a psychotic break, okay, or, or engage in obsessive-compulsive disorder. Uh, there is a has have been an, an expansion of that, and now it's called PANS, because there are other microorganisms that can do the same thing. And these microorganisms uh, release a toxin, and uh, depending on the pathways. Uh, in the neurological system, they get the particular behavior. So my very first thought is he may have been very well treated with the, for the pandas, but has there been an investigation as to all the other things that might be, Lyme, you know, the co-infections for Lyme, so forth and so on. Uh, and then sometimes there's value and honor in working with those general things that create healing, like fixing the gut, you know, making sure that he has the, the appropriate amount of vitamin C and so forth, the things that we've been talking about. Often when I treat a Lyme patient or a PANDAS patient, or, and I have several PANDAS patients now, and they're doing very well, I, what I'm not treating is the strep, because that's been very well treated. What I am treating is what the strep did to that person, that child's body. Yeah, and that's where and that's where the glitch usually is. Not because my allopathic colleagues are stupid. They're not. Okay? And I, I never say that. I, I, I kid a lot because I want people to laugh because when they come to me, they're pretty distraught. Okay? But to be perfectly honest, they're doing a very, very good job with the exception of they don't really like to treat the person. So nutrition is kind of like whatever the dietitian says. Not really going after healing that brain, healing those, um, the injured blood-brain barrier, the mitochondrial dysfunction, and so forth. When you attend to all those things, a, a greater, I won't say all the time, but a goodly portion of the time, you've really taken, you've really given the body back its ability to heal, and you start seeing major gains. Okay, so if none of that, if if the... If none of that has been done and there's been no investigation into other similar microorganisms that can cause this, I'd say that you've got work in front of you, okay? Yeah. And, and as and I that said, was my you question. know, um, with, with this um, report on the O-band, it was my big real aha as to perhaps now as you talk about getting to what is the cause, what led my son to be vulnerable to pandas, which created this well, whole domino effect. So I love your, the idea of looking for the cause, not just treating the symptoms. So would you suggest like going to see like a, an Im- immunologist? Well, actually an immunologist is probably going to do the same thing that you've, um, that you've experienced presently. Okay. okay. I, uh, I'm very big on a specialist... Uh, you know, using utilizing a specialist for what they specialize in, but uh, you wouldn't use a gynecologist as a family doctor. You wouldn't go to a uh, epi- oh, I'm sorry, um, an, Im- an immunologist or an endocrinologist to uh, do alternative medicine. Okay, uh, I guess the advice I'm, I'm giving you over the air because I do have to be limited in what I say publicly because, you know, I I, I can't actually treat anybody uh, on the radio show. But what I would say is that if you feel that uh, the proper and complete workup has been done, okay, then, you know, then it's in my court or somebody like me, okay? If you feel that there's other things that need to be investigated, okay, that because the O-bands, the oligoclonal bands, Okay, or a band of immunoglobulins that are seen when a patient's blood serum gained from blood plasma is analyzed their 
person like Felicius, I'm reading about it right now over the over the and it is a indicator of possible multiple sclerosis, Lyme disease, Devix disease, systematic uh, systemic lupus erythematosus, and there's this big long line, most of them being autoimmune, and you know my opinion about autoimmune. So what I would do here is make sure none of the like Lyme um, syphilis, which I'm sure he doesn't have. Okay, any of the ones that are caused by microorganisms are not present. Right, and we've okay. never tested it, for Lyme. There you go. And make sure that the Lyme testing is proper. So if you need to talk about that, you can call me and we can have a short con- conference about what uh, constitutes a proper Lyme diagnosis. And I tell you something, everybody out there, if you have a chronic condition and you have not been properly assessed for Lyme, look at your doctor and say, shame on you. And I'm not talking about the little screening test that they do that is only positive during very acute Lyme. There's lots of different tests that need to be, need to be done that indicate whether that person has chronic Lyme. And where does chronic Lyme go but the brain? If you forget that, remember that Lyme is a spirochete, just like syphilis. And we all learned in school the life cycle of syphilis. You get the canker sore, and then it goes away. Then you get a rash, and then it goes away. And where does it go? Your brain. Well, Lyme is syphilis's smarter cousin. It knows how to hide. And guess where it goes? The neurological system. Okay? And since it's so endemic, kids are getting bitten. You never know it. Okay? Because right. not all of them get the bullseye, bullseye rash. Right. So... I would look at I would look up the O bands. I just like I just did on Wikipedia. There's a list of what the possibilities are. I would make sure that the um, the ones that are not autoimmune make sure they've been checked for. Okay, because okay. obviously it could be something else. Okay, and if you need help, give me a scream, and I'll guide you a little bit longer. Okay. I will give you a scream, and thank you so much for taking my call. Not a problem. Have a good night. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Person Hello? in the 972 area code. Hi, this is Dr. Armand. You're on the air with me. Hi, this is Yusuf from Texas. Hello, Yusuf from Texas. How are you? What can um, I, thank you well. so much for taking the time uh, to inform us about all these things. I had a son. I have a son, um, and he was diagnosed with autism uh, in August of 2013. Um, done a lot of testing. Uh, I went to an immunologist. Uh, Finally, after I got the diagnosis, uh, we started doing a lot of testing, and I heard you talking about the serotonin and the dopamine, mm-hmm. and we did one of his lab tests, and all of these transmitters, all of them, the 10, were high. I'm sorry, say it again, please. All the neurotransmitters were high? Yeah. Okay. If all so, the neurotransmitters are high... What, yeah. that generally, what that generally means is that the immune system is very inflamed, the brain is very inflamed, and that is usually as a result of some kind of uh, infection or virus or something like to that effect. If you were to take a neurotransmitter test, and I'm testing all the neurotransmitters, and they're all high and in the red, it is always an immune cause. Okay? Yeah. And, and I, remember that... I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you here, but... Um, um, we had some people, uh, some relatives who are like my, my sister-in-law. She is a doctor, and I told her about this test. She showed this to her uh, 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 colleagues at the hospital, mm-hmm. and they told her that this test is testing the, 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 the serotonin level and the serum. That doesn't mean it's going to be high in the brain, and that there is no way to measure the serotonin in the brain. Okay. Um, if you email me uh, your email address, because go to my website, I will send you the studies. But uh, I get this asked all the time, whether the urinary transmitter tests are, are valid. And the fact is that the urinary neurotransmitter tests or serum neurotransmitter tests are being, these neurotransmitters are being gleaned from the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. So what you have to do is look at a pattern. Okay, and if you look at the pattern where it's all up, okay, I guarantee you it's immune. Okay, and I'm not just saying this because it's me. If you go to the Neuroscience Corporation, which is a research corporation, and talk to Dr. Kellerman, who's been heading it and been doing neuroscience research for the past umpteenth million years, 
Okay, he would tell you the same thing because that's what I learned it from. Okay, and I got to tell you another thing. Uh, the only way to test uh, brain neurotransmitters is to do a lumbar puncture, you know, and that gets dangerous. Right? If you take the pattern and you say, my God, this is an immune problem, I better start looking for what kind of infection my son has that is expressing as autism. You'd be on the right track. Okay, and if he had, like I said, Lyme disease or something else like uh, PANDAS, and it's expressing as autism, because remember that neurotransmitter imbalances can express about a thousand different ways. Right. All right and this is, this is a reality. What is upregulating or dysregulating the neurotransmitters? And I get this from the allopathic profession. Well, how do I know it's this? I said, so what are you doing for them? Okay, you're not checking it your way, so now I'm going to have to take what I know and start working with it. And as soon as I find, let's say, whatever the, uh, whatever the offending organism is or organisms, okay, and you guys start treating it, all of a sudden, you know, the person starts getting better. You know, and autism doesn't necessarily have to be a lifetime thing. Okay, right. for some people it's, it's actual brain damage. But you leave the neurotransmitters in this state for a long period of time, it does in fact damage the neural cells. Okay, right. and that's a reality. But, um, you know, just so because somebody's got an MD next to their name does not make them right. Sorry. Right. <laughs> I agree. Um, so um, we, are, um, we have done several other tests, and he, he was found to have some heavy metals. Um, he is deficient on all the vitamins and minerals, all of them. Um, so I'm just trying to figure out what is the serotonin level when it's too high what is it causing what are some of the symptoms that it's like i can see okay this is happening because the serotonin is high Ser high serotonin can cause especially in a kid irritability okay and that irritability can be aggressiveness uh, difficulty sleeping um you know fighting with his brother or sister um, and when it gets really, really high, and especially with the dopamine being very high, the child will look like they're in a trance, almost in a disassociative state. And that's often what I hear, hear uh, my autistic kids being described as, okay? So you're, um, it, it's not just one thing, and we have to remember you have to look at balance, okay? And then you have to look at the, the cause of the imbalance, okay? And that particular... Just from the little you're telling me, I guarantee you it's immune. So you've got to be looking at what could be going on with that system. Heavy metals can cause problems in the uh, various biochemical pathways by not allowing certain things to conjugate, whether it's the Krebs cycle or the other biochemical pathways. That's, that's a reality, okay? But a lot of times they won't do, the heavy metal toxicities won't do what you're describing. So I would be going a lot further than that. Okay, and that's just okay. from years and years and years of experience doing it. So what is, it, what is our next step? Uh, as we've done all these testing, what is our next step should be? Your next step is to work with, is to um, speak with your physician about the other, other investigations that can be done and ask them, you know, uh, ask them to look for things like Lyme and viruses and so forth. And you'll probably find out they haven't really looked. Okay, and if you're getting, if you're hitting walls, okay, uh, if you're hitting walls, then what we really need, what you really need to do is work with somebody like myself, not necessarily myself, but like myself will be, has a wider, has a wider view on how to go about things. If you have further questions, go to my website, you can send me an email and I'll be happy to answer it. Okay? Because we've only got about 60 seconds here. Okay? Thank you Thank so you much for your, for your help. Bye-bye. Okay, tonight, people, we talked a little bit about everything, and that lady's telling me I've got 60 seconds. We talked about the new mood disorders, how the neurotransmitters relate to them, how inflammation relates to them, and how uh, methylation relates. And hopefully you learned a bunch of things. Okay, hopefully I didn't confuse anybody. Okay, if you have any questions, please go to my website, send me an email. I'll email you as quick as I can. Again, if you have your own health, if you are looking to see if I can help you or Sean can help you, just go to our, our, our website, which is drjessonline.com, or call us at 610-449-9716.
and make an appointment for a 15-minute complimentary consult, and I'll be able, we'll be able to tell you if there's something we can do for you. If not, we will try and refer you to the appropriate. Uh, oh, 10 seconds. Next week, we are going to do hormonal disorders. Okay? Thank you very much for listening. Everybody have a great week. Goodbye.